0: So I grew up in Jersey, um, typical like lower middle class, like latchkey kid. I have four brothers and sisters. My parents were separated. So like, I was kind of like left to my own devices. My mom was like a maid and like a switchboard operator and like just worked really hard and worked a lot of graveyard shifts. So like she wasn't at home at night and during the day she'd just be exhausted. And you have four other kids to deal with, so I was just kind of, like, left to do whatever, and I found skating, like, skating is kind of like a very, like, masochistic sport, and, like, you can get a lot of shit out of your system by skateboarding, and it also, like, teaches you discipline, and, like, at that time, skateboarding was, like, nobody caring about it, um, what years we you This is like late 80s, early 90s. So you've been in Jersey, right? In Jersey, yeah. And so the way that skateboarding world worked in Jersey is like you'd have a very small crew of kids in your town that you skateboard with. Eventually they'd all stop skating, but you'd met kids from other towns. And so where I was in North Jersey, there was like kind of a small crew of kids who kind of outlived the sort of trend fad of and was kind of like life at that point. And you would all come to New York and go to the banks or Union Square, Washington Square Park. Um, so I started coming to the city by myself around 12 years old. And um, like once you come to New York, you're like, fuck it, like I'm never going back. And um, it was just like uh, a complete 12 freedom, old. 12, yeah. And so, and uh, so I think I met Larry Clark when I was fourteen. And Larry said uh, I was like the loudest, angriest kid he'd ever seen on a skateboard. And I wasn't like very good. Like I could do some tricks, but mostly it's just. I reality bad. of you like breaking your. Oh yeah, I you know, was like pretty. Yeah, bad. that was recent though. But like, so again, like you're working things out as you're learning to skate, you know, and so you. you throw a lot of like temper tantrums and throw your board and you're just like, fuck this you blame everything but yourself and Larry my voice was so insane that Larry like heard me and like, zeroed in on me um and yeah and so basically I was also like drinking and doing drugs back then and like it's weird to look back at it now and be like oh I was like going to raves when I was 14 and like taking acid and then like going home and trying to like have breakfast with my mom and like pretend I was going to school and it was like kind of directionless but then Larry at some point was like oh I'm making this movie everybody was like mad like suspicious of Larry like everybody was like who the fuck is this old dude? taking our photo, lurking around, talking about movies. (laughs) We weren't like that green that we weren't suspicious. You know, we're like, this seems strange. Um, And at that time, Larry had somebody already cast in that role. This guy. Yeah, in the Telly role. And his name was like Topper or something, his actual name. And In the like two years it took to get funding, he had hit puberty and kind of aged out. Mm -hmm. And then this skater named uh, Quim Cardona was supposed to be Telly. And his mom knew who Larry was and was like, no fucking way. (laughs) And then literally like within like the last month or something, and I there's a part in the film that harmony plays with Chloe in
1: the 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 tunnel. The rink, yeah. That was originally my part. And then and you, and you also weren't considering acting. At, no, 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 yeah. no. Um, and so the last minute, they were kind of like, which,
0: Larry had brought it up, and then Miramax or something was like, yo, know, we can't even understand what he saying. Like, how can he be the star of the film? And they wanted to give me speech classes, which I'd already done, like, my whole life growing up. And then they were like, well, he's kind of, like, ugly. And um, Larry's like, yeah, if he was good-looking, he wouldn't have to chase all these girls, you know? Like, he liked that it was, like, not expected. And Justin was, like, the good-looking, charismatic guy that was... I think Larry saw a lot of, like, himself and Justin, and, like, really, they, like, loved each other. And, um, and Chloe was also super last-minute casting decision. They had already flown out an actress and just didn't work and um, so it was kind of weird and because nobody like knew what we were doing or took it seriously,
1: we it just felt very natural. And like Justin and, and Chloe and Harmony to like, did you guys know each other before the mm-hmm. film? Yeah,
0: like there were certain people that got a little better than others, like I was always like the kid from Jersey. Like, I'm still the kid from Jersey. Like, I won't forget it. Nobody will let me forget it. (laughs) And so, for now, for me to be representing New York in such a weird way, in such a kind of big way, public way, was like, like me and some, like me and Justin didn't get along at all. We like fist fought on set and stuff. And like, um, years later, we let go of that and, like, our egos and become friends and stuff, but, like, Harold Hunter was always really great with everybody. Like, Harold didn't give a fuck where you were from. He was, like... like I always say Harold was, like, the first person everyone met in New York City because he would go up and talk to everybody. And he just had such a personality that you, are like, remembered it.
1: Um, it sounds like there was also, like, a... There was obviously a scene. Oh, yeah, right? Yeah. And so, in that scene
0: basically was all built around Washington Square Park. There's yeah,
1: so no social media,
0: oh, no. It's no, staying. no, Astor Place, yeah. like you would, the amount of time we spent like sitting on curbs, they just like waiting for things to happen, like that's some of my favorite shit. It's just like, you know, and then that would later like, and this is all pre-social media, and you know, you would go to Max Fish and just see where the night took you and, like, hanging out was so important to knowing what was going on and just being part of the he scene. Yeah, participate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, so through Larry, and Larry really respected kids. Like, he really respected teenagers. And he understood that more would happen in those like last five years of being a teenager that would change your life than would ever happen again. Like you really become yourself between like 15 and 20 or somewhere in there, you know? Um, And so this is the first time like a lot of those skateboarders actually like felt respected by an adult and like taken seriously and that what they were doing was something of value, you know? Um, So that was interesting and then me like meeting Larry, and like I'd lived with him, and stuff, and just seeing the art that he liked. I had no my parents were from Ireland, and like there was no culture in my house growing up. There was like a picture of like John F. Kennedy and the Pope. like that was it. you know there was no music, there was no nothing. and so I was like hungry, and I'd already started discovering a lot of that via skateboarding, like music and art, and things like that. And then meeting Larry and seeing his, like, worldview of the art world, like Christopher Wool, Mike Kelly, like, all
1: this stuff was just in his house. And so... that be, like, your first exposure to a lot of that
0: stuff? Yeah, 100%. But he also, like, respected Mark Gonzalez and, like, skaters, and so it was really a great way to Like, uh, realize like there wasn't necessarily a a level of importance to somebody's name, right? Like, if it's cool, it's cool. It doesn't matter who it is on the kind of uh, art world spectrum. Yeah. Just if you like it, fucking you like it. So then. Like so, basically after kids, like nobody told us what to do. Nobody told us how to be actors, how to get agents. Like the you know, a pretty big reception, right? Well yeah. But they didn't. They didn't want the actors to promote the film because I think they liked this kind of uh, ambiguity of uh, is it real, is it fake? Yeah.
1: So they really played that. And Wait, uh, do you mean they didn't tell you what to do, like? As in at post film, post release, right? it was just yeah. like, good luck. You know, we made 5,000 bucks each. And it was the first time
0: we ever heard, like, an advance, like, oh, you can get money before the actual paycheck and then just take it out later. Like, sick. I want these yeah. Air Force Ones or <laughs> whatever. So most people had taken most of their paycheck before they actually got it, you know? And um, so, yeah, we were just kind of like broke and we're, like, not broke, but like, Going, I don't think anyone can, like, get an apartment.
1: I remember seeing, like, a, a video on YouTube of, like, Harold and Justin maybe, like, accepting some sort of award, like, yeah. best actor award. Justin won best actor at the um, SAG award. And it's, like, Samuel L. Jackson, like, handing him yeah. the award or something. Yeah.
0: So, it was weird, like, Chloe, you always knew something was going to happen with chloe like she was always cool always like interesting good looking dressed well like you knew she was kind of like a girl before maybe that term was a thing and rosario was just awesome but the boys we just like didn't fit in with that world at all it was so like weird and so like harold would get little jobs i'm like uh like, I don't know whatever that version of Law and Order was at that time. Justin did a few gigs, like,
1: uh, he's in, like, Next Friday. But you really, like, it seems like you pursued a career in acting after that. Not really, no. It's like... It took a long
0: time to figure that out. And was Bully the... Maybe his role after? Yeah. I think Bully, because it was just easy, because I already had that relationship really with Larry. Yeah. Um at that point, with like me and Larry, like, I would do every movie he did. Like, it was just kind of this thing. But outside of that, it was mostly just, like, back to just skating and hanging out. I actually moved to London for a year after the film came out, because it was so uncomfortable being me in the city at that time. Like, just with your peers and stuff? Well, no, just, like, people who didn't know me just straight up fucking hated me because of that film. Got it. And like would. Literally, like, threaten me and want to fight me and shit, and, uh, and I was always like because they
1: thought it was real. Yeah. or Something. Okay. Yeah. And
0: I was always like pretty shy and like yeah. just kind of like skated by myself, and so it was just like a little too much attention. I was like, dude, I'm... yeah. And, and so I moved to London. I think I had 300 bucks and like stayed in a youth hostel And I knew of a shop. I then I was 18. So I, when I made kids, I was 16. I turned 17 during the making of it, which is like crazy to think about now. Um, and, and I'm like socially awkward, and now this thing happened, yeah. it's like, fuck. Um, then after London, I moved back. Oh. So in London, I've, I knew of the skate shop, Slam City. And like, skating will always be the foundation of like everything I do. Like I respect skateboarding so much. And as a skater, no matter where you are in the world, you can go to a skate shop and find people to skate with. Like, you don't need to speak the language. You don't, you know, all of the communication you're doing is like on a skateboard. Like, as long as you're not, in skating, they say like, as long as you're not a kook, like, you can, be fr- you can have friends all over the world, not even knowing the language. Um, and so basically, I never really figured out how to be an actor. I, w- I would do it here and there. But through skating, I met Ryan McGinley and Dan Colen and all of these people I would grow Dash. up with. Huh? Dash, yeah. And so they were all taking on this like role of being artists and- What year would you say that was when you guys- I met Ryan probably like in 1991 or two. This is like way before Ryan even took photos. He was like FIT kid. From Jersey too. Yeah, he's from Jersey, Dan's from Jersey. And so as they're becoming artists, I'm sort of seeing myself in this, like, just unemployed actor role. Like, oh, I'm the actor of the group, but I don't really work that often. (laughs) Um, And artists like to party. And, you know, that's like that lifestyle. So we were all just going out seven nights a week and just partying. And through those parties or that partying, the conversation would always come back to art. And I was like, fuck, I, I really like this thing, but I don't really, I'm not an artist, I don't really play a part in this. And I think at some point I was like, fuck it, let's just start a gallery. Like, you we were so naive. It was just like, fuck it, let's just do that. And so me and Nate Lohman and Hannah Leiden started our first gallery, which was Home Alone. And what year is that? No idea, it was probably like,
1: Probably like 12 or 13, or 14 years ago or something. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's when I remember. um, I thought this was like still way back, like earlier. No.
0: Um, And so that, you know, just being in that world of artists, you just felt like you needed to contribute in some type of way, right? And I think at that time, everybody multitasked. Everybody DJed. Everybody made zines. Everybody they did these little things to kind of contribute to the culture. Yeah. Because the, the, we moved here to be part of that culture. You know, like, if we, we, if we didn't want to participate, we could have stayed home, you know. Yeah. But we were in New York now. We wanted
1: to add to... Well, I'd also happened? say that, like, you know, even just, like, to remind a little bit, like you were, in, you had a pretty big role in the wire, mm-hmm. right? Like so, you had like a, like, I feel like a substantial career as an actor. Or like, yeah, like at, at least from some, as I saw you, like you were the actor in a group of artists and photographers. Yeah, but I, at least from my perspective, there was definitely like. I remember I brought this up to you before. Like there was a photograph or something of you and Dash, like in a piano in Germany or something. Mm-hmm. So it seemed like very much like this not like traveling circus, but like you guys had a thing. Yeah. And then maybe that sort of like became Home Alone. Yeah, we were all very supportive of
0: each other. And we would all go to, if somebody had a show in Berlin or something, we'd all fly out. I don't know how we afforded it, but I think we just didn't need much at that time, you know? and so it was also this, this crazy time of like excess where like Agnes B, who's a great supporter yeah, of art, yeah. would like fly 10 people to Paris for a Ryan McGinley's art show. And like me and Kid America would DJ it, right? Like somebody would, I mean, there was always like a little job for each person or they would shoot a lookbook and, you know, like Javier Perez spent a whole lot of money on some dumb shit. <laughs>
1: yeah, what, to what about it their if you dive into like art world stuff, you know like as someone who has had a gallery recently and you know obviously you know even like Marlboro, working at Marlborough, which is like I would consider like a pretty established or was an established gallery, like what, what differences do you maybe notice between now and then as far as like support like that? Uh, I think for me
0: so the, the interesting thing is like I'm not I like like what I do but I'm not like that committed to it like acting I can take or leave art world I can take or leave and like the only reason that I do these things is because I'm lucky and that nobody's ever told me I can't do it right or if they did I wasn't listening and so it's really interesting to be able to like peek behind the curtain and see the amount of bullshit that's attached to all these things, would be like, oh, you have a gallery? I got a gallery too, so? Like, it's not that dope. Like, (laughs) you know, you might be on a different scale, but I know exactly what you do. And I was always really good at being friends with the artists, right? And even with Home Alone, our motto was, the artist is always right, even if it's wrong. Even if we don't like what the artist is doing, we're curating the artists, not the art. And um, not a lot of galleries function that way. Also, Home Alone, nothing was ever for sale. I don't know how we afforded <laughs> to do that. But it was a way to let artists experiment. And so the artists loved us and the galleries liked us because we weren't taking any of the profits. We were letting the artists get their thing out. and. And we had, like, a great reputation in street crime, and I think that's what led to Marlboro asking me to work for them. They wanted that, yeah. you know. And uh, it doesn't matter how much money you have, you can't buy that sort of a thing.
1: Yeah. Um, I want to also, like, I guess because, like, your generation was such like a heavy influence on me, and, you know, like... Even from you know when I was like 19 or 20, like seeing you guys and how, and the things that you did, like were really inspiring. Like one of those things, you know, that like I just sort of missed, but caught the tail end of was like the Nest Show, for mm-hmm. example, right? And like for maybe some people don't know about it here, but it definitely feels like the gallerist like artist relationship is is has definitely like pivoted, you know. Whereas I would feel like your generation was sort of like creating this culture. And like the galleries were sort of like trying to get their foot in the door on it, whereas like now I feel and and maybe there's a question for you. do You feel like it's sort of changed, where like it seems like the galleries, institutions, create the corporate, and the artists are the ones trying to like get a foot in it.
0: Yeah, I I mean it also seems that maybe like all right, so like for I'm sure not. A lot of people know what a nest is, right? But so, basically when we were young, like Dash, Slow and Dan Cullen were the biggest partiers out of everybody. They just were like fucking messes. And so, Dash had a lot of money and um, he would rent hotel rooms and they would shred phone books and just like spread them out all over the hotel rooms. And then, I would always do this thing where you'd get parakeets. He we'd get, like, 12 parakeets and name them, like, Saddam 1 through 12 or something. So they're just swimming in all these shredded newspapers high out of their minds with these parakeets flying around just getting fucked up. And so this was, like, the secret club thing that, like, not a lot of people were invited to. I don't know. <laughs> and it was kind of like folklore, right? Like, and so... So, how did that? So, I guess, yeah, like, I
1: wanna say. Maybe through the zines or something. It, yeah, nice I. Used
0: to Kathy around. Grayson was probably invited to one or two or something. And then Jeffrey Deitch through the Nest Show that I think you're talking yeah. about, right? And this was like the most ridiculous fucking thing. So, basically, Deitch was like, Hey, come destroy my gallery for like a month or something crazy. And they basically had like um, paper shredders and they'd just be throwing phone books in them all day, right? So there was probably four feet of shredded newspapers in the gallery. Then, yeah, like everybody's invited to come over, spray paint the walls, do whatever you want.
1: Yeah. I heard the smell was... Yeah.
0: And, you know, people are fucking just chain-smoking in there in a pile of shredded newspaper. <laughs> dash and da- dash Dan, like, everybody loved to do drugs, but they always made it, like, a little stupid. So they put a shelf, like, 13 feet high in the gallery. And so you had to walk, like, climb this sketchy ladder to just to do some coke. And like nearly kill yourself, you know? And so it was that kind of environment. And, um, and so basically, so, and then they were taking all these like, like, uh, like rolls of napkins and they would just dump them in buckets of wine and just like whip them across the room. And so it was, so it was bad. And this is what Jeffrey Deitch is down to do, yeah. you know, just to kind of get this show out of these guys. And, um, Sure enough, like, I want to say, like, two or three days before the show opens, the staff start getting sick because of this moldy and, like, bad shit was in the air. So they had to clean out all the shredded phone books and replace it with all new phone books. So it was, like, that kind of excess, that kind of, like, stupidity (sighs) was happening. And we were lucky enough to be a part of that, you know? like Like, I... You know, I think it's it's really tricky when the gallerist tries to be an artist or party with the artist and there's a lot of enabling going on and um You think some of that's cleaned up. Yeah, or I'm just older and don't see it. I don't know. Um I yeah, it's again, I don't know if that kind of like energy exists anymore. Um, I'm sure it does but maybe it's kind of channeled more through like music and different yeah. types of art forms and you know that uh, New York I mean anywhere everywhere has gotten so expensive that it's hard to be experimental and you know what artists have to remember is that people have to pay their rent and so it's cool to be punk and shit and do crazy stuff but If you, if people aren't supporting these galleries and stuff, they're going to go out of business. Yeah. You know. Um, So, yeah, we were were lucky that my crew of friends were, like, pretty popular and, and, uh, like, early. It hit fast. I mean, it hit earlier for you. You were younger than they were when
1: they became popular. Um, But, yeah, people just treat you different. And they, I would say that, like, the popularity that you guys created was, it was from the things that you were doing, you know? I feel like it was, like, the culture you're creating um, yeah, actually, sort of, like, gave you that, that privilege thing. Yeah, like, I think it's amazing how productive people actually were. Like,
0: the drug thing was as bad as you could imagine. Everybody was on drugs, and, um, but it was, like, fueling this production. Yeah. And so, yeah, people would be up for two or three days, but they'd be in their studio for two or three days. Um, It also leads to a lot of bad shit. Like, you're not making quality work when you're working in that way. You're, like, you think you're a genius, but you're (laughs) carrying out a lot (laughs) of bullshit. So, and eventually, like, the drugs and shit, like, kind of take precedent, and it's just, like, people died. Lots of people died. Um, so, yeah, it was, um, it was, like, a very charged few years. And, like, I always say, like, night, the nighttime was perhaps more important than the daytime. You never got lunch with somebody. That just wasn't even a thing. You got drinks with people, and that's where you had your community. And that's where you talked to Max Fish for us was that meeting point. was that place and Max Fish was like a brilliant bar because it was ran by artists and it was very bright it wasn't a dark bar at all they had art shows musicians hung out there all walks of life hung out there because people wouldn't bother them but you could have interesting conversations with people from different generations and different lifestyles and that's where I actually, I think, curated my first show, was at Max Fish.
1: Do you think that, like, or have, I mean, obviously things have changed, right? But, I mean, from your perspective, like, are there... Well, why do you think that is, maybe, you know, that, like, something like Max Fish isn't around today? I hope there, that
0: there is something like Max Fish out there. That I'm just too old to know about it. You know, um, like back like early 2000s there was a different party for every night of the week and it was a kind of different music like week. a weekly yeah. yeah. Um, again like I'm kind of stoked I don't know where that <laughs> happens anymore or if it does happen but you know it's just the landscape changes but I do think like right now I go to like <clears throat> this one little punk venue downtown. And to me that's really like exciting. And it's all young kids and they seem pretty like outside. One that plays on Eldridge, like mm-hmm. in the basement. Yeah. The like they're like they're looking for something and they found it. And oh, yeah. and
1: I like I feel old when I go there. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing here? But it's cool that it exists. I, for the I stand in my window and look and see what the hell. Yeah. It's kind of sick because they don't they don't advertise the events anywhere. They're not on Instagram yeah. or anything. I saw a Reddit flyer maybe. Like
0: I'm that. not even allowed to say their name. Yeah. It's like that gives me
1: hope at least. You know that like yeah, it's great. Around.
0: Um, and you know I, I think. And would like, again, I'm on the older side, so it's tricky for me to talk about technology, but again, it's like things like this and community building and being out in the world is so fucking important. Like, it's very easy to get depressed and down and like whatever when you're sitting at home. But if you're just going for a walk or fucking doing something in the world, it can change our whole mindset and you could be like, cool. Like, that stupid thing I just saw and go by, like, made me laugh and I'm glad I got out of
1: the house. You know, it's like, reminds me of when you just, you said earlier that you guys would spend a lot of time on the corner. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like that physical need to sort of be around people in order to find out what's going on is maybe like, one of the obviously larger things that has shifted that maybe like, is the reason why things aren't, you know, maybe the way they were. Yeah, like, Ryan and Dan's apartment,
0: their first apartment was on 7th Street between a and, B, uh, a and 1st. And there was the stoop, right? Which was just the three little stairs you walked up to get into the building. That was a legit spot. Like, oh, you we're going we're gonna to hang out on the stoop yeah. tonight? Like, that was... And whoever walked by, you had interactions with them. I saw Dan get arrested out of there. Yeah. Like, just a dilemma shit. Um, but, yeah, it was just... You know, I was looking at, like, I I documented a lot of that stuff. I didn't realize it at the time. But, like, everybody had a T4 camera. Everybody was, like, documenting everything. And so I recently found footage I'd shot of the blackout in 2001. And I lived on 10th and A. And in Tompkins, there was a crazy bonfire that people were just dragging in wood and whatever they could find. And there was just a fire that was probably 15 feet high in the center of Tompkins. And the cops would just stand on the outskirts of Tompkins. They wouldn't go in. They just wanted to keep the chaos in the park. And, like, they didn't want it coming out. And then there's footage of me at Max Fish. And, um... A, everybody's fucking loving it. Everybody's like, it's the fucking end of the world. (laughs) They're so fucking stoked and there's not a cell phone in any of the footage and there's some people with like physical candles and shit like and you can see cop lights and the reason i, I can tell where i am in the footage is because i had night vision on my camera <laughs> and so like seeing that footage i was like fuck that was i think anyone in new york for those 48 hours <clears throat> i don't know long it lasts We'll admit that was like some of the funnest time you would ever have in New York like, Yeah. And it was just about being outside and bumping into people and like me kind of like or Hurricane Sandy Black was a really similar feeling. Yeah. I wasn't here for that. I was stuck upstate, but which wasn't that fun. But um but yeah, so you know, I don't like to romanticize it or be like too nostalgic about it. Like because I do think that people today have their own networks and their own crews and are are doing shit. Um, But I would just like say how important things like this are and like communities and like, you know, not everybody needs to be an artist, you know, not everybody, it's cool to find your role and be okay with that role, like, you know, um, so, yeah, so like for me, I, I became a gallerist, but that was only because I was a failed actor. Like, and I still thought I needed to contribute to that conversation. Now I've quit doing that, um, and I'm stoked. Like, people think I'm kidding when I tell them how happy I am to have quit my gallery.
1: Yeah. And I did a lot of great shows, and it's not something you have to always do forever. Exactly, yeah.
0: It's okay to walk away from these things and not let them define you and try new things. Like, um, the last thing you want to do is do something that you don't want to be doing and to drag it out too long and let it become like this like cancer that just builds. So for me, the best thing I could do for the gallery was to close it. Um, that being said, I fucking loved every show I did and every artist I've worked with, there's some here. Um, uh, again, I feel like I was extremely lucky to have done it for how long I did it. Um, but it's sort of like making room for the next, the next person. And what I hoped to have done with my galleries is inspire people to keep creating whatever form that was. Like I feel like my gallery had a very youthful audience that
1: didn't really go to galleries. Yeah. And well yeah, I noticed that I mean I was a I really enjoyed how I think not outsider but it, it it just like felt like it offered a platform for both the artists you were showing but also the people who were going that may have not necessarily had exposure or like would go to see art exhibits. You know, yeah that's like something that's important to you is Yeah,
0: I mean one thing that drove me crazy about the gallery, and this might sound like I'm talking shit, um, (laughs) is the amount of people who came in back to, I love this fucking gallery. And I'd be like, so what other galleries do you go to? And you'd be like, I don't fucking go to galleries. (laughs) (laughs) And I'd be like, well how do you know this one's any (laughs) good? Like, how do you know where you're, where you're supposed to be in the world as an artist or a creator of any kind? Like, I literally probably go to see like 20 to 30 shows a week. Still? Still. And, and where that comes from, like. I think it's a bit of a, like a manic thing. And we live in New York City and there's always like fucking literally 200 shows on display. Mm-hmm. So if I'm in a certain neighborhood, I'll just hit 10, right? And. I don't even know if I'm absorbing it. It's just this thing where I'm like, well, fuck, this is here, and it might not be here next week, and I might not ever see this ever again, so I should go see it now while I have the opportunities. Whether or not I like it doesn't even matter. It's, it's almost arrogant of me not to see it. It's fucking free, Yeah. right? Um, so I tell all these young artists, like, go to galleries, go, see everything you can and the gallery that you go to that's repeatedly showing the things you like is where you belong right like and there are enough galleries out there that have such strange and different programming you know you don't have to worry about david zwerner or a small gallery like there's a lot in between and um so yeah, but you have to play the game. You have to be in it and like, you know,
1: um, so yeah, you don't know. I think that's a good place to leave. I want to make sure we have like we have like 15 minutes for questions. Anything else you want to add? No, I, I honestly never know
0: what to talk about. So just <laughs> thank you for listening. I just ramble on. Anyone have a question? So you do now? signs in a gallery um, I have a day job that I've had for I've always had some sort of like a day job to help fund my life uh, and yeah So, and I have a 7 year old so I like to you know the thing that people don't realize when you have a gallery so I had a gallery for like 13 years I haven't had a weekend off in 13 years right. Like, that shit kind of sucks Like, if I, if I want to bring my kid to Coney Island I have to pay somebody to sit in my gallery And it's, I can't not have the gallery open because I owe it to the artist and to the audience for it to be open. So those are the sacrifices you have to make. You have to do it, right? You can't just like open your gallery when you feel like it, even though there are people that do that. Um, So I think now I'm just trying to figure out what's next. And um, yeah, I still, I love just being an audience member in the art world walking around. I think it's great. And, and like, you know, I think with time, I, I, I got this confidence that I know not everybody has, where I feel comfortable walking into any gallery and not worrying about, like, they can't, they can judge the way I dress or the way I carry myself, but they can't judge my brain. Like the knowledge I have is in here and it's, it's there for good. So, um, so yeah it's it's I just like being an audience member and um, so like it's weird like I closed my gallery but I kept the Instagram and it's strictly to um, kind of like showcase like 10 shows I see a week that I, that I like and um, for me that's really to inspire other people to just go out and see stuff so yeah, yeah, I, I've been following you for a while. Yeah, years. yeah. Oh, shit, okay. <laughs> yeah, and I know, like, like, um, the other day, I just went to Dia Room. Like, I was just thinking about that. And I went, and I was like, fuck, this is so cool. It's in New York, it's free. Other people might think this is cool, too, and that's why I kind of spotlight that stuff. Um, and you'll see, I go to galleries of all sizes and show things that, like, I went to this gallery yesterday called Foreign and Domestic, or maybe it was the day before. The artwork's $80, you know? To me, it was one of the best shows I've seen this season. And it's like, it's not about doing it for likes or popularity or hashtagging popular artists. It's like genuinely what I think is, is good at the time, so. Yeah, but what I'm doing is just trying to figure out the next thing I'm doing. Again, it's like I have these things that run in like five-year cycles, and then I kind of like move on to something else.
1: Thank you for sharing your story. I really enjoyed hearing it. Um, One thing I find interesting in the way that you talk about the scene from when you kind of started to where it is now is your lack of cynicism towards it all. You
2: don't sound cynical in any way, shape, or form about it. I'm curious how, like, as things have changed, like, landscape-wise in our world, in your career, how have you kind of maintain that optimism towards this city and just like the art
1: world as a general uh, rule of thumb as an audience member. Because I'm curious. A lot of people I feel like get jaded yeah. quickly. You don't sound that way. I mean, it's it's
0: fucking hard, right? But like. That's what they want. They want you to be cynical. That's the, you know, they want you to be like self-defeating. So the the biggest rebellious act you could do is be positive and be like, fuck it. I'm going to take advantage of all this fucking shit. And nobody's going to tell me that I can't do something. Right? So that's a struggle we all have. You know, I feel like also very lucky or privileged to have the life that I've had. And um, again, it's like, I don't give a fuck what anybody thinks, which is very freeing. Like, um, And I know it takes a long time to like, earn that, gain that type of confidence and stuff. And but when you stop caring about what other people think, then you can really start having fun. And like when we were kids, we didn't really give a shit what people were thinking. You know, um, we never necessarily, maybe we were like cynical when we were young and you kind of grow out of it, you know, and like the, the important thing is to kind of like stay alive because, you know, the only reason I'm sitting here is because I'm lucky enough to still be alive and have the stories to tell. Like, there's so many people I wish were in my seat, but they didn't make it. And so, like, you know, just keep that in mind. Like, the longer you live, the more stories you'll have, the more experience you can bring to the work, or, like, I never worried about not acting because I was out there busy living, and if I ever got an acting job again, I could bring some of that experience to that job, right? Like, acting, you're just waiting for the fucking phone to ring. Mm-hmm. And if that's all you're doing, you're not gonna be able to bring anything to the job when it comes. I feel like that's what Like, The going. Wire, like, I'd already known bad junkies when I got the call to be a junkie. <laughs> and I really felt like I was doing them a disservice. Like, I was, I've never seen it, but I don't think I was good. You're punky, <laughs> I'd say. No. But it's like you know, I I I was around those people. I had like compassion and sympathy for those people, and so I played that character maybe a little different than other people would. Um. So, yeah. So yeah, it's just about being open and just being like, cool. I don't. It, I don't have like judgments, you know. I think everybody hopefully is doing the best they can. And if you don't like some shit, just don't pay attention to it. I
1: don't know, it's like... That's what I kind of gathered, like when you were talking about it, it wasn't like being from an older generation, being like, oh, you have no idea how much cooler things were back then. You're like, I hope it's still going on. I just might not be privy to it. I think
2: that's like such a refreshing take to hear about what things are.
0: I mean, it's... It is fucked to have a kid. Like, <laughs> like, you know, like, dude, you're like, what fucking kind of world is he going to inherit? You know, it's, again, so you have to try to be positive, and you have to hope that the next generation will continue this legacy of keeping New York interesting, especially now when there's so much to fight against, mm-hmm. and everything's so fucking expensive, and, you know, I think it's hard to think big when your studio is 300 square feet, you know, and the rent, you're barely covering the rent. And, you know, luckily you don't need large spaces to create art, you can create art in your mind, but a hotel room, you know, hotel room, it's, but it's like, it is nice when you have the ability to think on a larger scale. Um, But yeah, there's so many ways to do it. Um, But if you're already shooting yourself in the foot before you get started, that's like the worst thing you can do. Like one of my favorite artists is Raphael, sitting over there, Raphael Sanchez. He, his art is incredible. And it's, you know, there is a small studio practice, but it's a lot larger than that. And um, so like, you should get to know him and his practice. And um, so yeah, there's, yeah. I don't know. I just, like. I think lately I've been trying to be more on a positive kick, and and it's difficult, but I think like yeah, those like fuckers want to keep you down, and you just have to like, not ignore it, but choose what path you want to take. You know. Um, yeah, it's it's a conflicting time for a lot of people in a lot of different
1: situations. I liked what you said about, like, as an actor, you're waiting for the phone to ring and how you're bringing in, maybe some, while you're living your life and having fun, you're bringing in some of those experiences into those roles. I couldn't help but think about, like, artists today in the same way, whereas, like, they are kind of just, like, waiting for the gallery to find them and maybe not living and Gaining some of those experiences that like might contribute to their work, and I, I can't help but also tie that into the dash and Dan Nesting, is is well, you know, like, art that doesn't happen in necessarily gallery space. You know, and yeah. the, like, the methods that they found, whether that was through zines or through documentation or just word of mouth of like preserving that these things happened and, and yeah. not necessarily like in a space. Yeah, the one thing I will be
0: cynical about is um, Instagram. Like, be very careful of Instagram because if you put up painting A and it gets 50 likes and you put up painting B and it gets 500 likes, what are you going to make more of, right? And then there's there's not real criticism on Instagram. If I say I don't like something, I'm a fucking hater, right? <laughs> but you need that criticism. Yeah. You need that community dialogue. And it's... uh. So like Instagram is fine, but don't rely on it for your whole practice. Like, And I know a lot of people during the pandemic that made a lot of money off Instagram, and it is a great way to sell art and showcase yourself, but also get some like real-life experience in, in that as well. Um, that's all I will say on Instagram. Paida? Um,
1: questions? Ben? Okay, so I actually have a question
2: for you. That's okay. Yeah, Okay, yeah, yeah. right, so you said something that really uh, resonated with me. It was one of the questions you were asking Leo. And you said that you were asking Leo if he felt that institutions are dictating the dominant dialogue in art more so than the artists. And that maybe that was like a difference between now and your time, Leo, where I think a lot of people like, look at it as a very romantic period. Where, mm-hmm. like, you could move to New York and meet all those artists and like share ideas and come up together as a group. And I guess I'm just curious, like, do you think that that's true now, Lucian? And, like, if so, like, how, how would something like that have changed? Because that really resonated with me, and I felt like that was that's yeah. definitely not something I thought about before. As, like, a...
0: Like, how... That, that galleries can be gatekeepers
2: in a way? Yeah, <laughs> or, like, just museums, or just, like, yeah, yeah well, a lot of the dominant dialogues in art right now feel like they are being driven by, you know... Like institutions, other yeah. than artists or like weird people who are like moving out and doing, you know. Like I, yeah. I mean, it makes it sound like the stuff they, you know.
0: But that's why I feel like the com- artist communities are so important. Definitely. Like, because they can't, they'll, they will always be kind of outside of the artist, right? They will always be the gallerist. And being a gallerist isn't cool. Being an artist is cool. So as long as these artists have solidarity, the galleries will need some of that at some point from somebody.
2: What do you mean by that solidarity?
0: Just having a community of artists, a group of peers, you know. Um, Like, you might not all get into the club, but somebody might, and then you can... uh,
1: I don't know. That's how yeah, I mean, feel. It's funny, I, I, it's like funny the, that you say solidarity because, it, it, yeah, I, I do feel like maybe the rise of social media as like a medium to or a platform for artists, maybe, or even like the rise of younger artists into like a market has created this sort of like commercialization of art, you know, where like art school emissions are probably going up and, you know, pursuing a career in the arts isn't, doesn't seem maybe as like far-fetched of an idea as it may, may had 20 years ago and then I, I think like because of that it's created a thing where like because art is a market because it's it's commercialized it depends on like a platform or a presentation or a way to like experience art not much different than like something like Nest that it requires the participation of a gallery or a dealer to then be deemed as art. And so you have like these artists that are like almost looking for an institutional acceptance yeah. to then become artists. And I think that maybe is what I'm saying with like the shift, whereas like before, what I saw from your generation is that like you guys were creating culture and art history without necessarily even needing the gallery, right? Like I feel like the art and the culture yeah. happened and then like the gal- like, you, the remnants of it were displayed in the sort of like, this happened. But I
0: think your generation was one of the first generations to kind of get fucked by all that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you're like a great example of getting fucked by the system, right? Like, it all happened way too fast, way too soon. And you know, what people have to remember is, like, if you want to be an artist, it's a lifelong game, and there's a lot of waves, and there's like, okay, you're up, you're down, blah, blah, blah. So it's not necessarily great to hit it when you're young, you know? And again, the more experience you bring to the thing, the better it's gonna be. So if you're popping straight out of college, sure, you might make a little bit of money or whatever, but five years, you're 24 years old. And you're trying to do this the rest of your life. You know, so it's almost better to hit when you're 50, right? Because now you can really appreciate it and you like (laughs) don't take it for granted and don't think um, that it's just going to be this way forever,
1: you know? Well, I would say also that like, and maybe you've seen some of this, like the success and the it sort of breaks things apart. And that's why I, I kind of like focused on the solidarity thing is that I feel like there was, or or I witnessed a, a, a community that was like really strong, you know, and then come fame and success and support and those things start to drift apart. I mean, that's life too, you know, yeah. grow up. and And jealousy and comparing yourself to other people,
0: like, yeah, those, those are all kinds of like
1: very human things to do, but very. But in a community, like that's like, those are like real things that like present. A, they're like a danger to a community, right? Like, yeah. In a in a community where like success and these sort of things can also exist, like the, that that breeds sort of like envy and a lot of these things that can be detrimental. That's why I think that like the idea of like this and having a community is like important. But I feel like there's so many things outside of that that are like trying to constantly break that up and like silo people into careers. and
0: Yeah, and for me, it's like I never wanted to, or maybe I just gave up on being like rich or successful. I just wanted to be content. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to be comfortable in my skin
1: mm-hmm.
0: and to just appreciate things, you know, like, I don't own a house, I don't like have crazy nice things, but I have a pretty good life. And, um, and so that's, that's pretty rewarding, you know? I don't know if I was chasing money or success if I would have such a, as nice of a life. But the fact that I'm like, cool, with like, yeah. you know, I got my, I get my little coffee in the morning or whatever, and it's like, wow, that's pretty, that's pretty great, you know? Uh, so that's what I, what I mean about like when you're successful younger. And weirdly, I guess I was kind of like successful younger. But it never felt real. It never felt like, I think because of the, the people I was surrounded by, like I was just talking the other day about how I don't look back at anything. I'll never listen to this podcast. Well, and be there. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's mostly because of my voice. <laughs> <but> <laughs> But it's like, all right, what's next, right? Like, what's the next thing I can do? Um, So so it was like never riding off the coattails of kids. It was never, I mean, I liked The Wire because it took away from this thing that they'll, like, the only thing I would do as kids was like, now people could focus on The Wire, which is great. Um, You know, like, I DJ'd a radio show for like eight years. I don't know if anybody even fucking listened to it. I came tell you once. Yeah, Brooklyn, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But for me, it was like just kind of building this archive, building this thing. And it's kind of mostly for my kid to discover. It's not really for anybody else. It's just the kind of person I am. Um, and so, yeah, it's... I don't know. I guess, again, it's just like kind of looking forward and just... Trying to be the best person you can be for that day, and uh, and that's not, you know, necessarily like financially driven or success driven. Like your friends can offer you a lot more than, than those things. You know, like just being a good friend is like pretty important, and being a good member of your community. And you know, I think right now it's very very difficult to have conversations. <clears throat> But they're more important now to have than ever. And as long as you're surrounded by like a group of people you're comfortable talking to, talk to them, and it could be about whatever. But like, people need to be able to have conversations, and that mm-hmm. does a lot for everyone. And there's, you know, maybe that's over a cup of coffee. That's all you have to pay for. You mm-hmm. know. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think that's it. Awesome. Thank you,
2: Could <laughs>